think on a, a larger scale, people are starting to wake up and and see the the effects of this uh, con plastic consumption and. Um, which I think in some way leaves a lot of people feeling helpless. You know, what can I do to help exactly. this? Or will, will, my, will my efforts actually make a difference? And I think my thoughts to that are definitely. And to not ever underestimate the power of one individual. And that when people can come together um, and, you know, agree on, on even a, a similar direction mm -hmm. um, that we can take together, the, the outcome of that I mean, Motion 151 is just an example of that, of so many people coming together and, and we were victorious together and, and you know, really creating a much bigger impact than I thought, than I think anyone thought was possible when we initially started. Knowing when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. Now the world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Well, society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends. Today, we are on the brink of greatness. Chloe and James, they are doing some really interesting work uh, I want to tell folks about today, but it really ties to the oceans, and, and this is a concern of mine, our oceans, because, you know, I remember reading the story a while back about that large uh, I forget what it's called, they'll know what it's called, but that large, um, massive, like it's almost like a continent onto itself of garbage, the Pacific Patch or something it's called, we'll find out. Uh, but it's a real problem, our environment, and a lot of people are not paying attention, and a lot of this stuff becomes very political as well, but it doesn't really have to be when it just comes back to taking care of the place so that we have, you know, a clean environment and we don't look like a bunch of slobs when we leave it to the next generation, Mr. Kevin. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing what Chloe and James are doing for the world and for the environment. I mean, when I look through and read about their story, thinking that they've cleaned up 120,000 pounds of waste yeah. in our ocean, it's just mind boggling and staggering. Uh, they are out of Vancouver, but as I said when we started the program here, you guys, uh, I asked you where you were at because you are travelers. You never know where you're at on any given day, huh? That's very true. Thanks so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you both back for what you're doing. I want to get right to the point of this story, though. Let's get right to the uh, what I call the point of impact. Now, what I love about the brink of greatness, Chloe James, is that we're able to really look at there are a lot of people out there who passionately care about this life, this planet, this earth, and and they care about people. And uh, or making a difference out there, and you two absolutely qualify. But what you've taken on is mind-boggling, and what you've created out of it in the last few years. When I think about the fact that you really got started on this not too long ago, it was just a few years back, really, and now you've mm -hmm. got a whole organization and foundation, and what you're doing now uh, in your motivation here in cleaning up the ocean is truly amazing. Why was this so important to you, though? Let's bring it back to the point of impact when you started looking at yourself and asking questions as to you know, why you would take this on. What happened? Why, why should you care to clean up the ocean? 
Well, um, James, I'll, I'll start with this. Um, about 2011, 2012, um, I was doing a course um, on Vancouver Island in Canada, and I came across a woman named Joanna Macy, who is an eco-philosopher from Berkeley, California. And her work really teaches about uh, the, the implications of our human impact on the planet and how we can start to reconnect people across the world to reawaken to our relationship to nature. And it's through this I ended up meeting through Skype uh, a gentleman, Chris Jordan, who was working on a movie around the albatross population um, out in the Midway Island atolls. And he, I got to preview one of his films called Albatross. Mm -hmm. um, and it's through watching this film um, and the devastation of what's occurring out in our oceans at large um, with so many millions of species of animals and marine life across the planet just consuming and being entangled and, and really their populations are being detrimentally affected mm -hmm. by our plastic consumption and our, our single-use disposable plastic habits. And so initially when, when I started learning about this more and more, and then James as well, um, we is that's sort of what facilitated and, and brought together what is now the Ocean Legacy Foundation. And it really began as a platform to, to initiate people coming together. Um, and how could we instigate this conversation at everyone's dinner table or, you know, as a common conversation and finding these commonalities between a uh, global population, how, how we could bring a world together uh, behind the preservation and conservation of our ocean. So you were looking for common cause, Chloe. It's really people that are passionate, right? Common cause and get other folks involved. I want to ask you, James, how bad is it out there? Give listeners a, a moment, a reflection on what we're talking How bad is it? We're in the middle of the sixth great extinction on the planet right now. And plastic is one of the main contenders, but humans are are at fault for basically everything that we we do you know it's plastic is one of the things that we could tangibly work on but we sailed 2500 miles of open ocean and what you were uh, trying to uh, name earlier in your in your opening was the the north pacific garbage patch or garbage the garbage patch the, that's it yeah the, the great north pacific garbage patch and so we we did uh, an expedition on a, a two-masted sailboat. The, uh, the entire trip was, uh, the purpose was to sample microplastics out in the, the North Pacific garbage patch. And every single sample that we took through 1,500 nautical miles of open ocean between Northern California and Mexico and Hawaii, mm -hmm. uh, we basically found samples of microplastic in every single sample. So, you know, we we were out in the middle of the ocean for 50 days and didn't see anyone else. Wow. And, you know, when you're still finding straws and forks and bundles of rope and all types of industrial fishing gears. Yeah. <laughs> Every, now this everything. stuff is just floating on the water's top. Is that it? It's a, it's through the whole water column. It all depends on what okay. the, the specific gravity of the material is, mm -hmm. you know, but 
yeah, on a, on a clear sunny day, you'd see it all just Shreds. it just looked like yeah, little bits of plastic through the whole water column. It's really bad. We in Canada, we're finding a lot of uh, industrial material and. Another major factor for us starting Ocean Legacy was looking at uh, the materials that were washing up on shore from the uh, Japanese tsunami in 2011. Oh, yeah. And that that played a really big story around uh, basically, you know, Hawaii, Washington State, British Columbia, and Alaska. And we, you know, were inundated by all of that material and... and uh, so combining Chloe's skills and and science background and my my own maritime skills and background, that it was something tangible for us to collectively work on and and we just fired it up from there. What what was the point though where you before you jumped in and did it to this level? Was it just a general awareness of all the things you're talking about, or was there some sort of an incident or something that happened that was so momentous to you both, where you said we got to do something about this? Well, Chloe was the the real catalyzer of of the plan. You know, between the Japanese tsunami, that was that was the thing that I think we both saw, and you know, I we have a. Was that part of the motivation? That that because I remember uh, James, yeah. I remember reporting on that um, that field of junk. You're right, and debris that was headed this way, and a lot of it started to hit the coast. And there's still a lot of that out there, is there not? It's still coming in. Right, still coming in. Yeah, That's and it's still out there, and it'll be out there for a long time. Like mm-hmm. just for perspective, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't I don't know where you guys live, but here in Vancouver, imagine a wave that hit all the way from Vancouver down to Seattle mm-hmm. and inland about 50 miles oh, yeah. and washed everything out into the ocean. That's it. I like remember. Same, same type of population density. You know, there's there's a lot of communities, a lot of cities in between Vancouver and Seattle um, on, in Japan. And, and just to interject here, um, a moment... Uh, a light bulb moment for myself was um, I was collaborating with a group down in California um, called the Ocean Cleanup, and um, they had connections up in Alaska, and and they ended up connecting me with a, a gentleman by the name of Chris Pallister, who founded the Gulf of Alaska Keepers, and I was invited to go up to Alaska to participate in one of my first large-scale remote cleanups. Um, and just seeing the magnitude of the pollution up, even in the most remote parts of Alaska, just really impacted me. We were finding, I think we collected like 40,000 pounds in five days. Um, and wow. we're talking some of the most remote areas on the planet. Um, and so, you know, I, I asked them right away, I was like, can I join your team? Like, this is absolutely incredible what you're doing. And because I'm Canadian, I, I would have needed to get a green card and all these complications. So, um, what year talk- was that, Chloe? That was, I think, 2012. Now, at 2012, did you both know each other at that time? We had just met. <laughs> okay. All right. Because you're a couple now, right? Yes, yeah. we are. Yeah. yeah, I figured that from the picture because I seen you holding each other. I said, if they're not a couple, then they're very affectionate, it seems. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I figured that. I mean, you had different last names. I said, they got to be a couple, man, you know? So, all right, so that's when you, so how did, let me ask you that story right now. How did you both meet? Was it through this premise or through some other way of life? Other way of life. A different way of life. (laughs) Okay, all right. Uh, We'll leave it there, right? (laughs) That's fine. I I used to to put on a music festival in uh, Creston, British Columbia. Oh, cool. And uh, and Chloe, she owned a dome, a geodesic dome, and uh, she was a part. She was a friend of uh, of mine through another mutual friend. Wow! I should say. Wow! Wow! And so they, I hired them to come and work and perform, and and uh, yeah, I could tell she was a real you know i gotta tell you james you two are you're an absolute trip i have to tell you and when i looked at your story and read through it i was so i I mean i you just look like you're living life both of you i mean i really i that's what i that's the impression i come away with by the way when i read your backstory and i read i said these two are having a hell of a time out there and they're doing something cool in the world right chloe Totally. Yeah. Totally. I knew it. I, I said, that's why I said, I mean, it's, and it's awesome to see that. Um, well, I mean, you guys are total brink thinkers. So, so you meet back then. So Chloe, you're inspired up there when you're up to Alaska and you're seeing this thing happen, but, uh, or I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, it wasn't, well, yeah, it was in Alaska or no, it was Canada. Yeah. Uh, no, in Alaska. No, you're right. Okay, all right. Yeah. And then, and, and that kind of inspired you there. But then, and and so I guess it started. So how did it how did it snowball initially? What was the first couple of things that happened? Well, um, James and I spend a lot of time on the water even before this project had started. We were living on a houseboat together, and yeah. we just started going out on our own and bringing groups of friends and. Um, I take it neither of you get sick with the uh, ocean waves, I take it, huh? I have, for sure. James has. I I don't tend to, though. See, Um, I couldn't do it. I would love to do what you just said. The houseboat and the water thing, like, that's like a real attraction to me. But like, oh, I could not do it. My stomach would be south a million miles away. I... Anyways, go ahead, as you will. Yeah. Don't, don't put it past yourself. You just got to try it. You know, it happens to everybody, but... Does it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't... My one recommendation is don't mix Baileys and, and coffee before you go <laughs> Well, there goes that idea, James. All right. <laughs> but, so, um, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, we spend a lot of time on the water, and we literally just started going out on our own to the remote west coast of Vancouver Island and just exploring and really um, checking all the little nooks and crannies of the coastline and, and what... I basically saw in Alaska was happening in British Columbia, and um, all about Luke. Oh, and then we ended. Um, actually, we ended up meeting a guy named Luke Osinenko, who's from this tiny little boat access only village um, out in Kayukit, which is the northwest sort of side of Vancouver Island. And okay. we ended up meeting him at uh, at an ocean sort of event, and he. We were presenting, uh, oh, there were presentations happening, and then afterwards we ended up connecting with him, and he was like, oh, you guys are interested in cleaning up marine debris, oh, I've got a spot for you, and he literally, right next to his home out in the, the remote coastline out there, he was just showing us these insane concentrations, even in Canada, um, and within a week or two, we were already out at his place with um, one of a, our good friends who kind of didn't know what he was getting himself into at the time and <laughs> we ended up out there for probably a week and a half just collecting debris and, and really kind of soaking in the the issue uh, in our own country 
Um, and throughout the years now, I mean, this is really common case for pretty much everywhere on the planet. Um, so that sort of sparked the interest to to start to create the larger, more global story around how how all these places mm -hmm. um, are connected by plastic pollution and, and how we're all facing this sort of global crisis together. Yeah. A couple of things that um, I notice here in some of the photographs I've seen of you both in some of these areas that you're speaking about right now, Chloe, right? I yeah. mean, I would imagine... The real high in all this, too, I would imagine you've seen some really magnificent, interesting, beautiful places of, of Earth that you would have never seen otherwise without this, correct? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a driving factor. <laughs> yeah, I think it is, James, because I'm seeing some of the photographs and I'm saying, God, I could just imagine what you're seeing and feeling there when you see the beauty of Earth. I mean, we should never lose sight of how magnificent this planet is and the gift that it all is, which I speak about often on radio, guys, the gift of life, but the gift of this magical place we're in. And you guys see it firsthand. I mean, you're seeing it in its pure native form that a lot of people throughout their lifetime never see. So that's a real blessing you both have, you know. That's, like, mm -hmm. wild. Um, it, the other thing is that what I also am guessing is that I would imagine this has profoundly changed your life in the way that when you talk about plastics and you talk about straws and all of these things, and a lot of us don't pay attention much to that, you know, styrofoam or plastic or bags and all this. I, I want how, how do you both go about living your daily life and avoiding that? I want listeners to understand, because maybe we can make a, a dent with all of us and learn some real lessons from you both. Uh, how, mu how, many ch how much of a change is this in your life, and what are the sort of things you avoid, and why, and what happens, and what should we all be doing? Yeah, well, I mean... I have a water bottle. I've, I have a stainless steel water bottle that you bring everywhere with you every day. And I think, too, just... Just getting in the habit of refusing to use single-use disposable plastics. I mean, you know, touching yeah. on on bringing that water bottle or carrying a straw around with you. But I mean, I've I've even gotten to the point where you know I really I've forgotten my water bottle and you know and it's the either option of you know going to a public bathroom and drinking the water there. Or, I mean, you've got to assess your options, but. Well, would you, um, hold just, on now. If that happened to you and you forgot that, so my question to you, Chloe, would you drink out of a water plastic bottle at that moment or no? No. See, that's what I thought. I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of felt that. I knew that that would be like that would be like breaking religion for you, wouldn't it? It's getting to that point. Um, mm -hmm. Just because, I mean, when you go out into the, into the, these wild places and you see the damage, exactly. I mean, even using polystyrene materials, um, which I've vowed to not use anymore. Um, what kind of products are you talking about? Give us an example. Like you're talking about styrofoam cups, plates, things like that. and Yeah, yeah, or even the to-go containers, you know, if you go out oh, uh, yeah. for dinner, that kind of thing. And, you know, I've, I've started creating a habit of actually asking when I want to package something up right. um, to ask what they use for packaging before they bring me my leftovers from a restaurant wow. so that I can ask, you know, can if they say they only have polystyrene i've gotten i've gotten restaurants to wrap it in the paper that they line the the polystyrene in and wow what a trip yeah, yeah so yeah yeah 
I could see you now at the restaurant doing that, Chloe, and I can see them walking in the back and saying, table 32, what a pain in the ass she is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but it's not, not even just, you know, polystyrene in the environment. Just yeah. that polystyrene has such a low melting point, 100 degrees Celsius, boiling water, you know, cooked oil. And as soon as you put that hot, oily food into a polystyrene container, it's melting into your food, and that's extremely carcinogenic. It's one of the worst ones out there. But and we, we find whole beaches that have been replaced with polystyrene nurdles, and there's no sand anymore. You know, you got to dig down, you know, a few meters to be able to, to actually find, you know, some sort of natural form of, of sand, gravel, and sticks. Interesting. It, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's one. I mean, yeah. it all depends on where you live. Like each place on the planet has different lifestyles, so you find different problems of different materials. Whether it's a tropical area or whether it's a you know a, a cold northern industrialized area, mm-hmm. everyone's an offender in a different way. That's right. That's right. That's a great way to say, it, James. Everybody is an offender, and many times they don't even know they're being an offender. I mean, a lot of times that's the case because it becomes part of our everyday life. We take it for granted. I'm impacted by what you just say about the um, the, the packaging, how that kind of goes into the food, um, and you know that's something that you may not think is important, but I guess over a lifetime that can be very important to your health. You know, there's a bigger thing here too, everybody that I want to be aware of is that all the stuff we're talking about you know all of this impacts our life and our health in some way shape or form and it may not do it today but it does it over time it's it's like it impacts you over the years and i'm talking about the health of our bodies and our minds for that matter but definitely our bodies as well it's all of this that has an impact on all of us it's the day in and day out day in and day out and we take it for granted And I think that's the case for a lot of things. I got like a million questions. We'll get to all of those right after the pause. We'll be right back. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. So is the the pollution getting into the water? I mean, like I throw everything away. I never throw anything on like on the streets or on the beaches or anything. I know I don't. It's just something you don't do. No. You pick something up if you see it. Amen. So is it is it just people who are just throwing stuff on the beaches, or is it just that our waste from you know what we have is that's where question. the government's dumping it off and it's getting yeah. into the ocean? How how is it actually getting there? 
if you were in, say, Alberta or, or Colorado or anywhere on the eastern frontier of the Rocky Mountains, a long ways away from the ocean, all that snow melt every year, all year, that's coming out of the Rocky Mountains builds all of the streams and networks and rivers that flow through middle of North America. Some of them go north into the Arctic Ocean, and some of them go down south into the Caribbean. But they all get there, and there's an intense amount of networks of rivers and streams that connect basically everywhere through the whole of the planet. And it doesn't matter how far away you are from the ocean, your wrapper that is laying on a street and gets washed into a storm drain and connected into the dike system or into the river, it'll make its way from the middle of northern Alberta, Edmonton, mm -hmm. down into the Mississippi River and end up in the Caribbean. It's it's not so, just so the it's coastal people. communities yeah. that are causing this situation. So um, it's people being pollutants and not picking up yeah. after themselves. And and I wanted I want to speak to um, just the, I mean people even thinking they're doing the responsible thing by putting their garbage in in the garbage or even putting their their recycling in the blue box or collection programs. Right. There's a lot of different points throughout these processes where material can easily escape into the natural environment um, by. Tr via transportation, or even landfills that have been inadequately designed, too close to waterways, that sort of thing. Um, for a lot of the more uh, developing countries throughout South and Central America, or even, you know, parts of Asia, we're looking at, you know, people just dumping their waste literally in rivers and waterways and having that washed out into the into the oceans as well as you know even dumping into the forests and just lighting it on fire that's a very common sort of waste management practice that's being practiced in millions of parts of the world um, so there's millions really of, of leakage points you could call them um, on the planet and it's through these points that you know 8 to 13 million tons every year of plastic waste is entering into our ocean ecosystems and it's estimated that about more than 75 and now even up to 90% of the waste entering our ocean is actually sinking. So what we're finding out in our cleanups is really just skimming the surface of what is happening on the planet and the materials that we're actually even able to access. I, I kind of assumed that a lot of that was sinking, Chloe. I kind of guessed. Uh, I, uh, thanks for saying that because I assumed that. A lot of this stuff is probably... Uh, a bigger problem than what we think, that we can't even get to it, you know. Let me ask you about that. I just want to reflect back a moment on the garbage patch. They call it the garbage patch, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's five of them. There's five of them. Okay, so what yeah. I understand, James, the, the and I remember reporting on this on uh, the news programs. I remember studying, talking, I read the backstories on this a few years ago because this has been around for a while now. And it's sort of like, so what's the real story? What's the real take on that? Because it's like I never really hear anything being done about it. It's like they don't know what to do with it or something. It's like the size of a country now, isn't it? Or It's getting pretty big, isn't it? Um, I think one of the most recent studies by the Ocean Cleanup has suggested that it's 16 times greater than what we originally thought. Wow. Um, and so we're looking at even bigger than Texas. 
Um, That's what I understand. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a huge problem, and it's continuing to grow. Um, so all this garbage is collected in the ocean. Let's explain what it is, Chloe. All this garbage is like a mass of garbage, right? That's all collected together. Well, what ends up happening is how we were, how James and I were explaining how plastics get into the ocean. Um, waves and and different weather patterns converge these plastics into five different spots, uh, convergent zones in the ocean. Um, and when they're in these convergent zones through photo degradation, which means that the degradation or breakdown of these plastics using sun or other climatic variables, um, breaks these plastics down into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. So we're really looking at more of like a confetti um, than a solid mass island. Well, we sailed through it. I mean, you did. There's, yeah, there's not a lot of people, you know, that have actually specifically gone out there to do that. And what we was were, that like? What was that like? It was. It was really intense. You know, like just the whole. I mean, I can't imagine, but the whole I, uh, whole thing. You know, the whole trip was was really profound, and I think it gave us, uh, you know, at least a, a direction to be able to stick through what what it is that we're you know doing back here on on land. But uh, the it's a giant desert. It's the biggest desert on the planet. Really, there's not a lot of life out there. There's there's some birds, there's, you know, a few fish, few flying fish, but through all of it, there was just always plastic. And it wasn't, it wasn't just running into a, a mass, you know, running into an island. Right. It was like sailing through a, a stew or a soup where you just, you know, you're constantly seeing these fishing floats and, and uh, lots of like bundles of rope. But it's you know, a wonder you could navigate through it without getting jammed or stuck or something. No, oh, you, you do. If you're running a propeller, you know you can get caught. But we were sailing, so our motors were at most of the time uh, not running. Right. right. Uh, but we, in the middle of the night, you'd hear stuff that you hit, and you know, there's there's been. I think there's a, a really interesting movie with uh, Robert Redford. Uh, probably three years old, four years old, maybe. And that's basically the whole movie is him just out there sailing, and uh, the the main uh, antagonist is a large sea can that is just out there float floating, and his boat hits it. Okay. Uh, so he has to patch his boat and and try and survive, and I I don't think he does in that, but. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, it's like, it's that kind of big random things that are just out there. And yeah. But now what are they doing? To, uh, do I understand? I mean, I hear sometimes reports they're trying to clean that up or there's movements to do it. What's the, what's the latest on that from a political sense? Is there any movement to clean it up or? Definitely. Um, the, the, I think one of the more famous projects, uh, undertaking that effort would be the ocean cleanup based out of, um, Holland. Um, they're constructing sort of a big boom. Um, well, they have constructed it, and it's already out there in the garbage patch, um, trying to sort of use passive current energy to to gather or corral the plastics in sort of like a, a boom um, made out of large pipes. Um, 
And so they're testing that technology right now. But I think it's really important to discuss the that one of the greatest solutions that we can really be developing to stop this from occurring is to be stopping it on land before it reaches the ocean and, and waterways. So um, there's lots of different initiatives all over the world that are starting to create policy that directs and prohibits uh, plastics from reaching the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, a huge win in Canada, actually just a few days ago, was with Motion 151, uh, who is being led by MP Gord Johns. Um, it was huge. I mean, it, it encapsulated so many which, thousands of people. Which Chloe wrote. She, no, she no, no. wrote a lot of the plan and had a major part of doing that. Um, it was huge. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was thousands of people across the Canada just sort of coming behind Motion 151 um, so that it can create um, an annual permanent cleanup, uh, funds for cleanup, which has never existed in Canada. Um, create uh, strategies around um, how we can uh, mitigate using single-use disposable plastics. Um, you know, we'll see how it all unfolds, but it's it's a huge victory for coastal communities and more interior communities all across Canada. And I think um, that's going to be creating a model that we can really take internationally and that other countries can start to mimic in their own country. Um, also, the United Nations uh, is releasing... Uh, tons of new reports around what's being done um, in different countries across the world. There's tons of bag bans that are occurring, and I think, I think on a, a larger scale, people are starting to wake up and and see the the effects of this uh, con plastic consumption, and um, which I think in some way leaves a lot of people feeling helpless. You know, what can I do to help exactly. this, or will exactly. will my will my efforts actually make a difference? And I think my thoughts to that are definitely and to not ever underestimate the power of one individual and that when people can come together um, and, you know, agree on on even a, a similar direction mm -hmm. um, that we can take together the the outcome of that. I mean, Motion 151 is just an example of that, of so many people coming together and, and we were victorious together. and. And you know, really creating a much bigger impact than I thought, than I think anyone thought was possible when we right. initially started. Right, and I and I want to dive more into that in just a bit here for sure. Um, I want to um, ask you: Do you think that garbage patch will ever be cleaned up? Well, I mean, the stuff that floats, we got a chance for sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, the stuff that sinks, a, not so much, obviously, right? It's a really, it's a really big planet. <laughs> I mean, when we're when we're out there. Our, our best chance is the stuff that washes up on shore. Uh, driving around in boats, um, you know, that's a lot of fuel to burn out, of, out there. And, and the ocean cleanups plan with the boom and using the, the currents and winds to basically passively power that scoop, that, that's more, a lot more realistic uh, because it can just exist out there and we can we can come, or, you know, people can go uh, retrieve the materials. But the stuff that sinks, that's that's the, the th stuff that's getting and, and breaking down into the, the bottom of our food chain. That's what's bioaccumulating through, basically, from plankton up into our the salmon that we're eating or 
or tuna or anything else that we're drawing from the ocean and, and that's in turn getting into you know the bears and the eagles and and All the people it. on shore you know it's it's just transferring yeah Ever. all right i wrote about another gentleman i want to ask you both if you know about uh, you've heard of the ocean cleanup company boyan slat that's who we've, that's been, who talking we've been talking about. about that's the same group okay all right there yeah. he's doing some amazing things isn't he that's who we who we went out to to do the sampling for was their company that okay. when we sailed out there they're the ones that funded the research all right, yeah. fantastic. Wow, I wrote a whole piece about him. I mean, and I'm on his website right now. Over 5 trillion pieces of plastic currently litter the ocean. It's the largest cleanup in history. I'm going to do a connection back and forth on this, but he was like 17 years old when he started this thing, right? He's a young guy. Yeah, I think he was, yeah. Yeah, have you met him? Have you guys met him? Yeah, I ended up meeting him this year. I was invited, uh, we were invited to go down to the launch of the um, System 1. So we ended up, I ended up on a boat with Boyan at one point. Um, so it was pretty cool to meet him just because yeah. of, you know, the amount of time that we invested in the mega expedition and just in general, you know, people working together towards a very similar cause. So, Well, it's it good wonderful. to know it's the same. I wasn't realizing that was the same group, but that's. I'm so glad I brought it up uh, to know this. Yeah, I was really impressed with his story. I wrote about it a couple of years ago, and I don't know how old he is now, Chloe. I don't know, but he was pretty young. Like huh? 24. Yeah, I mean, 24. Look what he's accomplished already. I mean, it's kind of yeah. it's, it's yeah. un- unbelievable. I mean, what he's doing with this equipment, and he's gotten financing, and they've gotten all kinds of money to come into his not-for-profit and be able to do this stuff because it's an expensive proposition, clearly, you know. You know, their their country and the people and the companies in their country, in Holland, mm-hmm. have played a major role in supporting that work. Right. And they've been operating out of, out of uh, San Francisco and the you know the west coast of the United States and and they've sent a really massive uh, scientific research vessel to be able to to draw that boom out into the middle of the ocean and and they've you know they've invested in in an idea of a young a really young man and and it, you know it's that type of positive investment and belief in whether the idea works or not. Yeah, it's it's a positive motion in the, in the right definite, direction. Definite positive motion. I'll tell you, their website, I remember being on it before. Uh, it is very, very impressive, uh, the work that they're doing, James. And I, I remember writing about the whole story and being truly moved by this young man. I need to see about getting him on the program. That'd be very cool ahead. Now, there's a lot where this story turns now because you guys have created your own your own program here. You call Ocean Legacy Foundation, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk more about that. I want to talk about how people can get involved. I feel your passion. It speaks so loudly through your words and the things you're doing. And I got to tell you, it is an incredible honor for me to have you guys here and talk about this. And there's so much I want to get the word out on this. I want to get the word out on what you're doing. I mean, I'm a big fan of what you're doing here and the movement behind you. Obviously, I'm moved by it because I've been writing about, I wrote about Boyan. It's why we contacted you guys. And I'm so glad we did to get you on the show here. Uh, friends, we're going to take a quick pause here. Uh, I'm really enjoying this story uh, because, you see, you can make a difference out there. You you can make a difference. And we're seeing it right here. I mean, and the, the stories are profound, but there's some lessons, a lot of lessons here, actually, we can all learn and improve. We'll be back in just a moment here. 
Ava goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are back, friends, here on the brink of greatness here. It's Malcolm Aloud, Kevin Williams, and uh, really having a great conversation here. I'm enjoying this so much. I I was really spirited when I looked at today and said, ah, this is who we're talking to. Really cool. I want to talk about these with these guys because they're doing some amazing work. We're talking about Chloe Dubois and James Middleton. Um, but there's a lot of things. There's a lot of knowledge here, and there's a lot of te- This is a teaching moment, I want to suggest, Chloe James. It's a teaching moment. Because there's a lot of things I'm going through in my mind, like, okay, so how can we do this? How can we, like, even gar- your garbage, when you put it in a plastic garbage bag, uh, are there re- there's what, recyclable re- recyclable bags and things like that, right, that you want to use and things like that, I assume, Isn't that right? Well, there's actually a, a misconception with PLA plastics or, or bio-based plastics, um, just because they usually require a facility or, or very specific parameters that allows that decomposition to happen. Um, and so what ends up happening is a lot of these bioplastics get mixed in with, you know, single stream plastics or um, in the blue box and they go through a conventional or traditional recycling process yeah. and they actually start to act as a contamination in the plastic because the facility isn't made to recycle bioplastics. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and so until we really start building the infrastructure to recycle or process these bioplastics, there a lot of them are actually ending up in the landfill. Right. And I don't doubt that for a minute because what's happening is we call that marketing, Chloe, right? It's packaging. It's how they it's how they market something. Right. But when they put those fancy words on there like it's organic. I mean, most of the time it's not even organic. I mean, they use words. You got to watch that with these big fat ass corporations and how they do it because it's like a lot of that stuff you buy in the store. You got to look at the ingredients. You got to look at what's behind it, what's going into it. So, oh yeah, 100%, 100%. So if you don't use a plastic bag for your garbage, what do you use? Um, well, right. We usually just, we have bins up here. What should we, yeah. what should we use? What should people use? What should we use? Everybody use. That's what I'm asking you the most practical way for how our system is set up is really to use plastic garbage bags. And I think we need a systemic change in the way we even look at our waste um, in order to to make a a long-standing change in how we can manage this. There are composting bags. Yeah, there are compostable bags. There are definitely options that things will break down a little bit more, but a lot of the problems with bags and with these single-use items are in these tropical areas with, uh, you know, communities that 50, 60 years ago, they were using giant leaves, uh, you know, to wrap their food to go. And the habit of throwing away their packaging, you know, comes from generational use of of just that habit and it not having an effect until plastics and and uh, polymers really started being used globally. Imagine the opportunities from a capitalistic standpoint if you could do something that would provide a service to somebody that would also help the planet or 
you know, replace some of these things. You know what I mean? That we currently well, you get to vote every day with your dollars. That's that's always going to be the biggest driver on this planet. Is where but, you spend your money is is how people are going to you know create the materials and market surrounding 100%. you know where they're going to be able to make the most money. We got to wake up. Yeah. yeah, and and I really think to your point there, um, there's a lot of conversation right now around how to stimulate the circular economy. Um, you know how we can create an economic incentive around. Um, exactly. The waste that plastic usually uh, creates, and and in fact, it's it's around changing people's even conception that waste doesn't really exist. You know, garbage doesn't exist. What that when you're when you're done using something, really, that is just another resource for another process or another product. So that we can start really cycling this material over and over and over again. Um, and so I, I, I would agree there's tons of different entrepreneurship opportunities for people to really start developing around, you totally. know, the concept of waste and capturing these materials and turning them into new things. 100%. Um, and that's really a part of our, our organization of where we've been focusing a lot of our energy. So we've been looking at, you know, how we can take this plastic and turn it back into a light crude oil. Right. Um, one of our more larger partnerships is with Lush Cosmetics North America. We've been taking a lot of the hard mixed plastics that we've been collecting and working with other uh, manufacturing partners. We've been able to recycle the hard plastics back into a pellet, which can be used for further manufacturing. Um, you know, we're exploring right now 3D printing options. Um, really, the opportunity right now is sort of endless in terms of what we can create. Well, that's one of the things I was excited to talk to you about. I'm glad you just say all of that right now. That's what I wanted to ask you, Chloe, is that because you that's what you're doing with Ocean Legacy Foundation is you're recycling. All, that's what's so cool. You're not just collecting all this stuff, but you're recycling somewhere. I read it's like upwards of 90% plus, isn't it? Yeah, so that was a number that um, in our first year, out of about 27 tons of material, we were able to do that. Um, but as our program is growing, we're getting tons and tons of more material. So we're having to um, be a lot more creative with, you know, connecting with different recyclers and what we're doing with the waste right now. So um, there's still, I mean, we developed a sorting system of, and we have got about 25 different categories and that's how we're able to achieve such a low waste point. Um, just because we're going the extra mile, we're hand separating a lot of these more laminated complex materials mm -hmm. um, so that we can recycle specific resins. Um, and yeah, really, it's, it, I think the heart of the work that we're doing is really creating those connections across industry, nonprofit organizations, government, scientists, um, to, because that's what it's going to take in order to really make the changes that we all know are coming and we all know are necessary. Right. Now, let's talk a bit about, because you, everybody can hear how profound the work is that you're doing. Obviously, I assume you've got to run this part of this thing that's got to run on um, donations and things like that, I'm assuming. Are you a five? Are you a not-for-profit? Yeah, we are a non-for-profit organization. Um, and a lot of our work comes from different sponsorships, uh, donation dollars, tons of volunteer time. Um, yeah, so we're, we're always looking to fundraise money and get out there, clean new areas, and then also expand our, our facility where, you know, we've, get, we've had, I think this season alone, close to 200 kids come and learn about ocean plastics mm -hmm. um, during our different sorting events. So 
the scope of our work is fairly dynamic, um, and we're always looking to for different ways on how to fund that. So there's a lot of volunteerism here. So if somebody wants to get involved on that level, they could literally get involved from a volunteer standpoint as well, yeah? Definitely. Um, we, we do take on people from different parts of the world to come on expeditions. We should talk about surf rider because they're, they're, you know, there's a lot more branches and chapters. Yeah, that's, the that's a good point. So James is just talking about uh, the surf rider chapter. So we work very closely with surf rider Vancouver Island, Vancouver and surf rider Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. And they have chapters, the surf rider foundation in general, they've got tons of chapters all over the world. Um, and we've partnered with them very closely on different cleanups and sorting events. And um, in our own community, we've been taking their their marine debris and recycling it for them. Um, so another way to get involved that might be a little more accessible to a broader community would be looking up Surfrider Foundation and seeing when the next cleanup is. Now, spell that. Surf what? Right. Surf Surfrider. S U R F R I D E R. Foundation. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Now, looking at your site as well, it's very impressive as well. The, you've got here the plastic problem, our solutions, uh, how you can help. Right. Uh, you've got it all. Report hotspots. Uh, you. I mean, it's very impressive. And the crew again. Look at the crew you've got here. What a great looking group of people here that are <laughs> right out there busting, man. Really though. Huh? Yeah. I mean, they work so hard. Like this would not be possible without our, our core crew. And I was going to say, you've got some people here. Now, are these people, yeah. now I assume some of these people you have to pay. This can't all be volunteer. These people have to make a living, don't they? Or don't they? Uh, no. Well, no, not they, yet. They do. <laughs> they, They're all volunteer. Every, yeah, yeah. Everyone so far has been volunteer, including our own time. Wow. Um, How impressive. Uh, yeah, we all have regular jobs. So, so how do you take off a week and a half to go clean you know, that area, you, you know, early on, remember you mentioned uh, there was a gentleman, you spent a week and a half and just, how'd you fund that? That as uh, a corporate finance guy, I'm like, how do they pay for this? Right. A lot of our expeditions um, come from raising money through different sponsorships um, and a lot of grant writing. Like I'm constantly writing grants. So she's writing grants this morning. <laughs> writing grants last night. Yeah. It pays off so, though, doesn't it? It, it does definitely. I mean, I find they still fall short and it would be great to not have to rely on grant funding just because of the inconsistency. So, I mean, what we're really building towards is a sustainable system where the materials that we can collect can help fund our initiative. Right. Um, yeah. So that's, that's sort of a longer term. Well, vision. right on the website, uh, oceanlegacy.ca, uh, you've got here, it's all here. You can donate right here as well. Uh, you can even shop here. What do you have under the shop? Oh, you got, okay, bags and things, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we uh, do. <laughs> all right, I see it. Mugs, drinkware, and all our, that. Cool. Designers, uh, cool. Shiloh, Shiloh Love, she's, uh, she's done, she's basically the third person to Ocean Legacy since day one. She's been... Uh, and she lives a long ways away from the ocean. Oh, Shiloh Love, I see her. Yeah, website development. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. cool. She, she's, yeah. uh, she's an extremely gifted and talented, kind friend who has donated uh, a lot of hours to, to making wow. the website. And she's uh, and not only uh, that, but she's hot looking too. Is she married? Or is she... You should you should check out her music. No, I she's, think she's single actually. Yeah, she's, single. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's really she's really gifted. She's. Uh, 
I didn't Super- realize oh. this was a matchmaker. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you're going to let Shiloh hear this later on, right? Let her hear this. <laughs> you got a great voice. I don't know about the rest of you. But... Yeah, well, it's all looking good. Look at the site, man. Look, a good-looking guy. What do you mean? Come on, cut the baloney yeah. here. Yeah, check it out yeah. here. You sure uh, she'll be thrilled? Well, to I'm hear sure this she sure. said another guy making a move just so what I need, right? <laughs> Big time. <laughs> The artwork she does—it's incredible. She she is seriously brilliant. She's a a professional wow. airbrush artist, and she writes music. Yeah, she's wow. really well. I always we're really, to, we're really lucky to I have. It. I always wanted to date an artist. That's perfect. Okay. All right. I'm moving it along. So sorry. So you had mentioned that you have regular full time jobs, and so well, you do this. Yeah, we own, on... we own a contracting business, and okay. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We're still very involved in uh, in doing uh, stage production for different music festivals uh, through the summer up here in Canada, and, and we travel down to uh, Costa Rica and Mexico in the winter to to do this similar work. Uh, which we also, interestingly enough, like a lot of our outreach uh, is at a lot of those type of events where we. Uh, basically get to go to these uh, music festival sponsored conferences and we share with uh, with all the people there and that's that's really led to a lot of different opportunities and in, in a bunch of different countries it's directly related to the work that Chloe's been uh, doing in Panama right now which is also a pretty interesting subject that if we have time would be cool for her to be able to, to touch on. Yeah, please, let's do it right now. All right. Sure. Um, so over the last uh, year, we've been developing a really um, interesting project in Panama with a partner called the City of Knowledge. Um, and they're one of the largest nonprofits in Panama that hosts um, office spaces to really innovative projects from all over the world. So it's become uh, a center of um, sort of innovation and creation. Um, and it, it propagates a lot of uh, cross-sectoral collaboration, um, all for, you know, the good of the planet um, and humanity. So we ended up uh, meeting with them last year, and it's been sort of a, an ongoing discussion, and now uh, plans are becoming a little more serious um, in terms of developing um, Panama's first uh small-scale mobile plastic to fuel machine um, for the country so right now there's you know the waste crisis is sort of hitting all of us and and Panama especially just because up until recently um, they were shipping everything out to China uh, for for recycling um, so what this has done really is, has stopped a lot of that export from happening and plastics not only in Panama but this is sort of common case for a lot of different countries plastics are literally just collecting everywhere a lot of people aren't don't know really how to move forward in managing these plastics and there's a lot of new technologies coming out and a lot of different new strategies so we're looking at implementing um, really one of the world's first showcases and how we can take plastic waste and turn that into a light crude oil and we're looking right now on how we can start um, putting that oil back into the shipping industry through the Panama Canal. So that's that's just a, a in discussion phase right now, but it's something that we're seriously considering developing and is sort of um, 
on to the next phase in terms of development. So I'm so moved by what you're doing here. The fact, James, as you say, you, like you, like everybody, I mean, you've got real jobs, you've got to make a living. And yet this is really, uh, I think it's a gift back. It's a, it's passion. It's your passion. It's obviously your passion. You can feel it. You can hear your passion. You can hear you talking about it. And you just knew that by looking at all of it. I love the website. love what you're doing there. The donate button, friends, all of that, please, is right there at the website. It's oceanlegacy.ca. I really applaud you both. I hope one day, I hope to be able to sit with you and meet with you in person. And, and uh, Yeah, that'd uh, be fun. It would be <laughs> really fun. Come yeah. off an expedition. Get you out well, on the boat. I was going to say I could do that, but but I'd be green and on the floor horizontal line, believe me. Oh, there's only little little <laughs> points of ocean contact that we are on to be able to get to the there places. Most of the, most of the work is basically existing on these That's remote true. coastlines, camping there, and and you know walking up that I like. Rock- Rocky Log and Beach and whatnot. So. You know, James, uh, it would be interesting with that garbage patch. So imagine if there was a motion picture with that to show the devastation when you were in there with the sailboat, as you say, going through. Imagine if you capture some of that and build that into something or some sort of a video series. That'd be fascinating. I'm saying for people to really understand and see what's going on in the oceans, you know. Yeah, definitely. That's a great idea. It really is. that. And when you say the stuff, I remember, you know, again, all the news reports of the tsunami. But again, it's all basic. We're talking here basic hygiene. Let me just tell it. We're talking basic hygiene again. The recycled stuff you have that, again, you're out to eat. Straws, things like that. Trash, garbage, anything. Just basic common sense. We should all be doing our part, picking up, cleaning up, making the earth a better place. Uh absolutely please get involved here let's help chloe and james do the work that they're doing here uh ocean legacy foundation um again a lot of these these are relationships and i think so hopefully the first conversation of many but i certainly i I applaud you both and the work that you're doing i truly am a fan uh, and we're thrilled to have you here on the brink of greatness today friends Uh, and you know just hear the story hear the passion it's what it takes. It takes all. It's a movement. We all just got to get involved in it. We just got to. We, as they were saying, synergy, synergistic force. The more people you get involved, the more you can do with this thing. Whatever it is exactly. in life, yeah, it's what it's exactly it, man. Friends, thank you for being here and being part of this journey with us. Remember, the brink of greatness can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and limitations that are holding you back. What's holding you back, friends? Remember to take the next leap forward.